This is CliffCentral.com. It takes a multi-talented leader, an innovative business person, and an expert in curriculum design to direct Henley Business School in South Africa. It's part of the University of Reading. The dean and director is a man called John Foster Pedley, who's sitting opposite me now. He's worked in six of our continents on Earth, which I think is all of them. Um, he has over 30 years of global experience in business. He's a former airline pilot, a senior executive in the European aerospace industry, and has guided and facilitated cohesion and productivity in international and local multicultural sales and marketing and management teams. So you don't really have to do very much more, John. I think that's enough. Your CV is full. Your cup runneth over. I wish I had worked in Antarctica. That would have been very, very fantastic. That is not true. That's the only one you've missed out on. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, well, it's it's a great pleasure to sit and talk to you because I've seen on the um, – on what is this road here? Rivonia Road. I saw some of your billboards for Henley, hmm. which are very sharp and to the point, basically saying to people, this is the number one business school in South Africa. Um, the MBA is, is hugely acclaimed. The kind mm-hmm. of people that you have at Henley, I had the pleasure of meeting the other night at an alumnus event, and I'm I'm absolutely blown away by the way that they think more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it seems mm-hmm. to me that that is a it's it's a almost a hallmark of what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, we do the number one thing because it's important to say number one. But but the other side of that is don't really give a hoot. You know, we've got very little. We've got far too few great education deliverers for a far too big a market. So while we do the competitive bit, actually the collaborative one is much more important. We've got a mission, which is we build the people who build the businesses that build Africa. And we've grown the business school very quickly. Um, and none of us are owners. We're actually part of an international university, but we've grown Henley from five people to 75 full-time, uh, over a 1,000% in revenue, changed it from you know, 20% women on the MBA to 55%, from 30% black to 75%. Um, and all with no money given to us, all while we're paying off um, you know, revenue royalties to our parent university and always making a profit and always giving the best value we can, which is, I think, why we've grown. So there's something about education that, that just just captivates me. And I think the fact that we're not owners of the business, which is paradoxical because we've been, a, by any standards, a, a really good entrepreneurial success story. Right. Any other business would have been happy to have the sort of results we've got. Um, but the reason is we don't we don't have to pay off massive profits to to owners. What I keep I keep getting asked, don't you think you should be more profitable? Or, what about your profits? And I say, well, they are a bit high. You know, we we have we have a we have a net profit of about six percent, five six percent at the end of the year. And I think really we should reduce that a little bit because we want to put more back into growth and giving value to people, and that's a much better model of. You don't want to be in debt. You don't want to be a drain on anyone by being unprofitable. But if you get delivering value and you're paying people good wages, you, you, people, you know, we employ a lot of people, um, those people are getting a lot of benefit. We want to make that grow so we can employ more people and give 
more of the educational value we give to more and more people because there's such a massive need out there. There's so many things I want to ask you about this, but since you've brought it up, um, an MBA is almost like a rite of passage for anyone who is to be taken seriously in business. And some people are quite disparaging about them, and they say that they're, oh, they're a dime a dozen, and you know everybody now has MBAs mm. in, in something or another. Um, that's that's obviously not true. They're being pejorative and mean. But there, there is also there are MBAs and there are MBAs. Yeah, MBA, Master of Business, business Administration. administration. Yeah. What a tedious title! Who wants to be a Master of Administration? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so we play with the name MBA, Marriage Breakup Academy. Now that's that's because a lot of people, you know, in the old days, you know. Come bring a bring a picture of your family on the induction day, and they pull it out and say, "Okay, look at it," and now put it in your back pocket and forget about it for two years. Well, that <laughs> pisses me off. So, what I think we ought to do—that's why I really want to make a family-friendly MBA. Or what about Master of Business Activism? So we're creating these sort of dynamic people who will who will use money well and not get co-opted and collude with corruption or say capture that's awfully alliterative i'm sorry brilliant yeah thank you yeah we'll think we'll put it on one of our own signs shortly um or or master of um or, or making business artists another mm. mba you could do because there's a whole thing about bringing creativity into business so i agree with you about mba on on top of my list of books that I have, or pile of books, is one by Henry Mintzberg called Managers Not MBAs. And I, I buy all the books that knock MBAs because I think they give you the best insight into how to evolve. So, yeah, the MBA is a right. It's an elitist thing. or was positioned as an elitist thing. Mm. If you come in with a good result, you get an MBA, you'll get a much higher salary. You'll be in that narrow slice of people who are going to be brilliant. Well, that's rubbish, of course, because we don't need that. If an MBA is good for helping people do business and build business, then everyone should have one. Why not? Yeah. Why, I mean, what the heck's that about? But it, it's also interesting that we live in a country where very often business are perceived as the bad guys. And isn't, to isn't do anything true? in business and to be involved in business and particularly to want to be an owner or a, or, or a manager in business is almost regarded as the kind of ambition that gets you into trouble. And there's not a lot of... Certainly in academia, there's not a lot of love for capitalism at the moment. Yeah, I, I kind of don't blame it because if we follow the current capitalistic model, it's going to create an absolute love for consumerism and conspicuous consumption. It's going to increase the Gini coefficient and make another elite. It's going to not take care of the consequences beyond the boundary of the business. It means you're going to create environmental and social costs, which you're not going to have to account for. And it's going to destroy our earth, uh, as the Extinction Rebellion people would say. Yeah. By, so well, they're lunatics. Let's not <laughs> talk about them. Take them seriously. I don't think any of them have MBAs. They yeah, probably don't even have three brain cells to rub together. So. Well, interesting enough, the guy, the guy, <laughs> the guy who, who set it up has, has actually done a PhD somewhere. It's an interesting story. Because Psychedelic drugs or something. No, no, I mean, those are, I remember those days. <laughs> you probably know some of those people. I probably do, actually, yeah. yes. Um, I definitely do. But the guy who set it up, he's actually did a PhD at a college. Uh -huh. And then he wrote graffiti over his college. And, you know, challenging the college itself. And they let him off. But I digress. So we go back to the capitalistic model. And, 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 and the challenge with that is, of course, is the Milton Friedman model of capitalism, which was, you know, 
you make profits as long as you don't have negative consequences on your stakeholders. So it's very narrow. Um, it's, it's not a very good model to build a prosperous society because it doesn't flow through. What happens is it's good at making a few people rich, but it's not very good at changing a Gini coefficient and making all those people out there who are smart, got capability, giving them the opportunity. So there's some new thinking around capitalism, particularly by a guy called Colin Mayer, who used to be the dean of Said Business School, very mm-hmm. smart guy, M-A-Y-E-I. He wrote a book called Prosperity recently, and he's saying that the aim of capitalism and business should be much more focused on creating general prosperity. And also, interestingly enough, I saw today Iceland had just uh, produced its budget and GDP is, I think, second to a sort of wellness um, ratio. So there's more and more people thinking about what does it mean to thrive? There's a Greek word called eudaimonia, which is about thriving. Um, And so what does it mean to thrive and have have a life that's worth something? And how you measure life, and maybe GDP is a very poor measure. So the capitalistic model, which of course is is powerful and and has done fantastic things in its way, sure. is increasingly seen to be something that's limited in its extent. Um, which is why we're pushing on on social impact, ethics, environment so much. Um, and so what happened in South Africa, of course, that business was seen to be. You know, in, in the days of the, the movements, business was seen to be the enemy quite often and, and, and very much was in, 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 in cahoots with the state. Um, so if you, if you colluded with business, you were seen to be a sellout and that was a dangerous thing to be. So there's a lot of history around this. But of course, business doesn't have to be like that. Business can be a force for good. It can create value. I mean, if you think of business as something that creates value for people, which in some sense, should enhance their lives, at least if you're reasonably ethical about it, um, then then the money you get back in is simply to to create more of that value. And it just depends how you, how you perceive business. And we have a, a monolith of stock market shareholders, quarterly results, KPIs, you know, share prices, which, of course, force us to think short term. And that's not particularly helpful for when we're trying to build countries rather than just companies. And you, you've done some really interesting things. You, you led the strategy area for the MBA at University of Cape Town mm. uh, some time ago. Um, the Graduate School of Business, you designed and directed the executive MBA, became director of management education and developed an interest in creativity and innovation, uh, among other things. You also were in, in New Zealand on sabbatical for some time. I mean, you've really done some interesting stuff and picked up, no doubt, some incredible knowledge and seen a lot of change in education especially in business education. So I'm curious about what you think the, the, the trends are going forward because anyone can pick up a, a book, and you've mentioned a few of those books already, that are worth having a look at if you want to see what the terrain yeah. looks like now yeah. or what it might have looked like. But where is it going? Because increasingly young people are entering a workspace where they're required to be a million different things and there's no perfect education for them and they need to be able to change direction on a dime, yeah. pivot. They need to be creative. But all you love these, that pivot word. Yeah, yeah and all these, these very… N- moving chair. I feel like I'm pivoting right yeah, now. All these yeah. numinous things that are yeah. expected of them. And if you're in your 20s and you hear any of this stuff, it's overwhelming. It doesn't help you. If anything, it confuses you more. If you're in your 30s, it can be frightening because it means that you might be doing something wrong. And if you're in your 40s, you think it might be too late for me. I think I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, I remember the 40s. <laughs> the delusions we live under. I mean, life just gets better in a sense. I mean, yeah, you, you I know, agree with you. you. Just, yeah. Because you, you, the point is you start challenging your own assumptions all the way through. So I agree with you. I mean, there's that wonderful TED Talk by Ken Robinson. Um, where he talks about education. It's the most watched TED Talk. Ken, Ken, Sir Ken Robinson um, was an academic who also did a study for the UK government on bringing creativity back to education. So he describes traditional education as strip mining the earth for particular minerals. So you just, what it does, you just go deep and narrow. Whereas, and he says, why, why, is, why is maths and physics at the top of curriculum, liberal arts in the middle and dance and arts at the bottom? What is that about? You know, I mean, it's more and more understanding is that the mind that mind doesn't work like a machine. It, creativity, arts, music, they help learn maths. And something happens to the mind by the synergy. The mind is this incredibly plastic, amazing thing that that our narratives stop us using quite often. Our inner narratives, what we think we ought to do and we ought to be, actually stop us. Um, which is why we've gone so much into the creative sector at Henley. We, we've got scholarships of creative arts because those people come with a creative acumen that business needs, and business comes with business acumen that the creatives need. So, but the two are not mutually non-overlapping magisteria. I mean, they they, they hmm. do share some, and and in fact, you don't have to be creative to uh, come up with great ideas, and you don't have to be the accountant to make sure that everything runs properly. Exactly, you can be a yeah. bit of both, right? Abs- Nobody absolutely. is only one thing. I mean, the idea of left brain, right brain yeah. is, is another old Very idea. Old. Yeah. So we have, these, we have these capabilities, and the categories we use to think, like creativity versus X, Y, and they're just sort of dialectic, sort of opposing categories. The way we think is very much more in and both um, mm. inventive, and without certain outcomes, because if you're going to be creative, the whole point about being creative is you, you're creating something. So while in business, quite often we see it as measuring, being operational, being predictable, which is good for a factory. It's not good for invention. It's not good for innovation, no. not good for imagination. So we, we, we need to understand that if you're being creative, you don't know what's going to come out at the end of it. So you've got to go on a path. But what you can do is learn the capabilities to be very good at working in creative environments, what we call working in beta mode, continually reflecting, understanding, experimenting, killing killing things that don't work and amplifying things that do. And, And it gives a different set of controls. So what people are being taught are very useful skills, behavior, thinking in an older, traditional model to build an industry. Um, that's important stuff. But what they're, what's destroying them is that they are being told they have to be predictable, responsible, uh, you know, in, in an old-fashioned way. And, and let me give you a quick example. I, 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 did some, I was talking to some entrepreneurs, some female entrepreneurs last night from across Africa. And I was trying to explain why entrepreneurship matters so much. And if you look at the Japanese economy, it's got multiple sectors, hundreds of little micro sectors in the economy all around manufacturing, ICT, whatever. And then primary agriculture and things are small within that. You look at Vietnam 20 years ago, agriculture's big, you know, textiles big, but um, car manufacturing, ICT and electronics, all that sort of stuff is small. Look at it now, it's all shifted. Not only has the economy got a lot more dense and many more sectors, 
But what it's focusing on, so primary primary stuff like agriculture has gone down to 10%, 15%, whereas ICT manufacturing, clever stuff, um, has gone to you know the majority of it. And then you look at South Africa 20 years ago. Obviously, it's mining, you know, agricultural, yep. some manufacturing, Resources big sectors. Yep. You look at it now, it's almost exactly the same. So we dig things out the ground and we sell them. You know, we have the... The industries that support that accounting, manufacturing, mm. engineering, which is great for a sort of primary factor economy. We need the creators. We need a different form of MBA, a different form of education that lets people be, be what they have. It's logic and magic. We need to release some of the magic in people so that they start to believe in their own deep intelligence, not just the, the parody of academic intelligence that often people are portray are supposed to get through a formal education that's important stuff but the real intelligence is far more exciting far more dynamic brilliant stuff that you see often within the creative sectors it shouldn't be there it should be in the should be in the mainstream of learning and the trans change in the economy which we have to do in south africa if we're going to have a great economy that's resilient and give all these people opportunity to have jobs and decent lives we have to transform the economy it requires the creativity and needs to come through an enlightened education and not a, not a traditional we have to be we have to break the box we have to be iconoclastic and we have to mirror that in ourselves you you can't fake that you've got to be kind of a bit weird if you're going to enter that domain you know well it's interesting you've got so many people and part of this series is that we get to meet the minds we get to to understand how some of the people who are doing MBAs with Henley think about the world and it's it's probably more important that education gives you the tools of how to think than what to think because yeah. what to think is something that can change if you are uh, if you consider yourself to be an intelligent person you should be changing your mind as you learn more through the course of your life and as you encounter more opinions and sometimes you just modify an opinion slightly because there's new information but how to think is something which i think very few people spend an enormous amount of time doing and the the kind of people who have come to Henley to do their MBAs are not the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about people who had an, an, a, a hankering for accounting or business at school or were good at maths and science, as you said earlier. Sometimes they're people who have been, for the majority of their lives, up to the time they come to you, in a completely creative pursuit with sometimes very little business acumen or perhaps they had a a generally good instinct in business, but they want to refine that in some way. Um, Isn't that fascinating? It's great. I mean, we confuse education with intelligence. Mm -hmm. So just because you had a formal education, somehow that makes you intelligent. I mean, it's nice. I'm sure they are. But if you confuse education with intelligence, you also confuse intelligence with education. So just because you're not educated doesn't mean you're not intelligent. And that is the deep, deep secret of South Africa. What we find here with people doing who've come from different backgrounds doing um, blind assessments internationally, along with the Chinese, the French, the Germans, the British, the Danes, when they're assessed and they're a rep- the completely representative of South African society, they do as well, if not better, than that lot by independent assessors who don't, don't give a, have a clue who they are. So please don't tell me that we're not intelligent. We're continually, I think, in South Africa saying we have to be as good as. We've got to stop that. We are completely intelligent what we have to do is build the components of people's minds so i completely agree with you gareth about the the way to think 
Well, and, isn't it also? It's it, also interesting that so many people. I think it's it's a hardware and software thing. Mm. You know, the hardware is is an, is a basic intelligence, and you do get street smart, and then you get book smart, and those are two different things. And we have a lot of street smart people in this mm. country, and sometimes in business that gets you ahead far quicker than the amount of theory you know. So I often think we we put people in a class and they sit there with wide eyes and their hands are open like a begging bowl, saying. Oh, great professor, please give me your pearls of wisdom. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for this. Bugger that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, really, we're, we're adults here. You know, we're not there. We co-create learning. I'm interested in, in we, theory is simply a, an understanding of cause and effect. If I do this, this, and this, and this, I should get that to happen. It's, it's, a theory is simply an idea of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And it's no more than an idea. It's not truth. I mean, we, we need to challenge it. So we need to co-create learning a lot more. And we need to develop people's ability to develop their own working theories in life, which they test and experiment and test and experiment. But if you know something, that's useful. But if, if you know you're good at learning under pressure and under uncertainty, if you can learn your way through things, you've got a gift for life that will help you forever. So going back to your point about, about working on the mind, I mean, if you see the mind as not, as not an object, this is my mind, actually your mind is a work of art. You spend your life developing this thing which interprets and makes sense of the world. Your mind is not you either, and nor is it any voices. It's part of you. And you can make this thing of beauty that's diverse. And why not spend your life making that beautiful mind rather than having a beautiful career? And see learning as that. And let... Let an MBA be part of that. It doesn't define you, and it shouldn't. You don't need an MBA to be successful in life. That's absolute rubbish. But a good MBA should give you the chance to develop your mind, stress yourself against different people. And like in our environment, we try and get very diverse groups in the MBA so that you are pushed in multiple ways. Often they're subliminal. You don't even notice. And and, and what ha- often happens when people do our MBA, they say, wow, I came to do the MBA because this reason I wanted to be great at business. Mm. But I got all this personal growth that was invaluable. So I say, yeah, that was really important, wasn't it? That was the best part. But if I had told you that beforehand, you would never have bought the MBA, would you? No, 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 I wouldn't have done. No, I wanted X. So it's a bit of a sleight of hand. You know, you're, you're trying to sort of hold people like a magician. You're holding their attention with this. Come and, come and get a fantastic career. But, but what you're really getting is this deep transformation, which is much more valuable. But this holistic stuff, and I don't even like that word because it brings with it all kinds of connotations. Yeah, of, and smutsy stuff. Yeah, and also witchcraft yeah. and, you know, yeah. and, and herbal medicine and mm. <laughs> things <laughs> that we know you don't, don't work. like these things. I'm going, this yeah, is yeah, fascinating. But, but they, these are important things for yeah. people to learn. And you talk about personal development. I mean, isn't that the whole point? You know, Socrates said, know thyself. And if you can figure out who you are. And, and you so can, does Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, who he's terrific. Homo Deus. Now, mm. And he's saying that in a world of AI now, because, because the skin is no longer the barrier that's going inside, people are going to know not only what's in your, under your skin, your, your, your body conditions, but more and more through fascinating, clever AI, they'll know your emotions before you do. And by your patterns, so the algorithms will understand you better than you ever will. And if you if you don't know yourself, without knowing it, you're going to be manipulated from dawn to dusk for most of your life. So really understanding yourself, the frailties of your mind, the strength of your mind, the cognitive distortions that, that happen in your thinking. Um, and that's why things like meditation become particularly important now. Like I remember I was listening to a podcast by... 
Harari, and he was saying he meditates two hours a day. I know. And, and I understand why, because it allows him to observe the movement of what goes on in his head. And he has a beautiful mind, but he's going to continually evolve it. Who knows where it's going to go? But so, it is, it's yeah. a work in progress, right? And everyone is. It is. And this is what's so… That's the joy of it. Absolutely. It's the, it's the point of living and it's the point of learning. So an MBA is an artificial device. It's a trap, really, to get you into something over two years, to get you something you think you want. It's going to teach you a whack load of stuff. But you can get that. That's the, that's the easy MBA, passing as per normal. The difficult one is to take this opportunity and transcend it, become something magic. You know, understand the MBA is just a vehicle to get you to learn stuff. Use this learning opportunity. Engage with the people around you. Go for the stuff you don't know. Stop being perfectionist. You know, don't try and get, I mean, everyone thinks the quality of their marks reflects the quality of their existence as a human being. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm an A person because I've got an A in this assignment. No, you might want to choose to get a C because you don't know anything about that. And your, your journey from F minus minus to a D is like the largest learning journey anyone had on that MBA. And that's my hero. Those are my heroes, the people who do that, the people who are dedicated in learning, being original. I want to create value in life. I want to do something that makes them feel great and makes the world around them better. You mentioned podcasts. I've for a long time held the belief that the future of education is in people doing. And in China, it's already the most popular mm. place in the world for podcasts, self-improvement courses and mm. personal development courses. And, and not necessarily you know, credentialed courses where you mm. get a degree or a certificate at mm. the end of it. But things that help people to figure out those soft skills, which in South Africa very often people are, are lacking. The ability to you know, greet someone properly or to address your point of view with confidence or the stuff that really nobody in South Africa is taking the trouble and time to teach people, those things people can probably learn by podcast. And because a podcast is something you can listen to over and over again, and it's usually available for free, people are increasingly going to go to the internet for this kind of thing. Well, a podcast is the future. I mean, I listen mm -hmm. to them all the time. Um, the new heroes of the people. Sorry, I'm sitting in front of one. I shouldn't <laughs> flatter you, but but it's true. You know, you're very good at interviewing. You're fantastic, actually. And what you're able to do in your podcast is is access people in such a way that when they're driving, they get tremendous insights. That is extraordinary capability. It's, it's a real gift and something that that produces gifts for other people. You can learn about people you could never access. They're conversational. They're being real. Um, and then, and you can do it in the time you choose. You know, media that was, you know, you had to sit in a scheduled media. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> who, who can who can do that these days? And of course, connectivity is just increasing so much that listening to podcasts and doing them well is going to be much easier. And it gives and it democratizes everything. I mean, every, you can contact everyone, and and everyone wants to. I mean, deep down, beyond the ego. <laughs> That everyone has, which is our biggest enemy we have to trash in our life because, you know, let's face it, it's, it eats at all of us. None of us are without our shadows. Um, beyond that, you're able to access people's real insights. And I agree with you. You can listen to people who can articulate things well enough for, for you to absorb them and then turn those into some sort of pattern of behavior or mind, like a mantra that guides you. And, and it, you know, we, we tend to Academically, you think you can study and think your way into a new way of acting. But with podcasts and that, you listen, it creates a different frame of thinking, and then you act your way into a new way of thinking. 
because it allows you in your day-to-day existence say, I'm going to try that thing that I heard X, Y, and Z said, said on that podcast. I'm going to try it out, and I'm going to see what happens. I'm, I'm curious about you um, because it's all good and well to to get into Henley, and, and I'm sure that there are there are more things that we will we'll get to discuss in, in the next couple of minutes. But you you flew planes. Hmm. I did, yes. And you sold planes. I did, yes. Yeah, and I did that. That, that's, that, that certainly is a, a very tough business, and we know what trouble SAA are going through at the moment and how expensive <laughs> planes are. And, and buying and selling them is no small matter. Um, I saw just this morning that the, the U.S. are spending $22 billion on a bunch of new submarines. Mm-hmm. And planes are some of the most expensive things people can buy. Um, yeah. and, and airlines can buy. What kind of a world was that? And, and what did you learn from it? And what did it do for you? Hmm. Well, um, I had a journey from family. My father was a Second World War fighter ace, and my whole family. Was in the Battle of Britain? He actually was an instructor in the Battle of Britain, much to his annoyance. Wow. Because he, were, he really wanted to get out there. But he was a. Gifted pilot, very good officer, and uh, anyway, that's another. I mean, he lot, must have been there then at the start of the RAF. Um, yeah, he flew biplanes, and then he flew Second World War fighters, and then he commanded the first supersonic jet squadron. So he wow. he had a whole career through that. Yeah, unbelievable. Very brave man. Very good officer. Very bad shot. <laughs> According <laughs> to him, I don't think it's true. You know. But but he, but it's interesting because the end of his life, I remember him reflecting on things that had happened and really thinking because you get caught up in that stuff but then he really thought about he'd seen these things what was the value of life you know I remember him telling me about times he didn't engage in combat he just didn't want to do it anymore or a a surrendered submarine and he was he saw and he was patrolling it and he saw a whole bunch of people airplanes coming into to try and um, you know attack it, and he was flying in front and saying, "No, don't!" But everyone was war crazy then, and they sunk the sub. And so stories like that were, which showed a different part of the warrior. But yeah, I mean, going back to the airplane thing. So I I, I was in the Royal Air Force uh, as a military academy. Um, I got a scholarship there very young. I then went to study in sociology and, and and everyone had long hair and so I decided to buy my way out of the Air Force and be alternative for a few years and then I came back into it as a you know selling used aeroplanes which was like selling used cars on steroids um, bought my way into you know borrowed money and became a flying instructor commercial pilot and then because I met a bunch of South Africans in my alternative years I came to South Africa because I thought this is an amazing place and then I flew as a sort of bush pilot and airline pilot here for a while. Um, and then left that to sell airplanes to the manufacturers. And, and it was a really extraordinary place. I mean, it's complex sales. They take five or seven years. But that's where I started to understand what goes on, what can go on in business. The truth is that British Aerospace got fined hundreds of millions of pounds for corrupt practices uh, I was on the civil side. I, I didn't see much of that, but I did start to see things, and I started to see middlemen and agents, and I started to be curious about that. And that's why that did something to me, because I eventually understood that when you add commission to a contract, which I think was happening, you're adding commission to public money, and what you're doing, you, you're taking $100 million and making it, or $500 million, you're making it 550 mm. That 50 is unnecessary expense going on commissions. Um, that reduces the, you know, that's from the public purse. 
And then you, and if you're doing contracts, you're taking that, not only you're taking commission, but you're giving it to somebody who really can't do their job. In yeah. a place of somebody who's worked all their life, built their way out from the townships who can do their job, and you're giving it to somebody who can't, and not only waste more money, but build something that's useless. So this, the victims of this whole corrupt scenario are not... It's not an abstract white-collar thing. It's them. It's us. It's those people who work their lives to make opportunities. They're the ones who suffer. And that's what we have to be absolutely adamant about when we talk about corruption and state capture. It's not an abstract thing among rich people. The only people who really suffer are the people who can least afford to. And that's why we have to dedicate ourselves to smashing that. Otherwise, we'll never build a country. So that gave me insights into those sort of things. Um, I remember being on a French TV program with an academic friend of mine who'd written a book called La Grande Triche, which is about the great trickery or whatever. And um, he brought me onto French TV to talk about my experiences of selling aircraft, as to, to talk about what goes on behind the scenes. And thank God I didn't speak French very well. Um, but it was, it was a, an amazing insight into the worst side of business, which is actually why, um, why I'm one of the reasons I'm so implacable about you've got to do business well, you've got to do honestly. If you, we need to build people who can use lots of money well, mm. not not people with sticky fingers who take that money into their accounts and shove it offshore and destroy people. What we need to do in academia and, and the media is it's very simply trace the causality between people doing bad business and people being corrupt and how it affects kids whatever yeah. and how to and not get all not get all airy fairy about it but just in very plain and simple language saying this this has this effect and this effect and this effect and therefore you know i say you know none of our kids have a future unless all of our kids have a future and things like corruption and state capture they stop kids having futures and, and that's what that's the level i think we need to explain it for people to understand so that it sinks home um, and and we get through all the fluff of of rhetoric and you know populist jargon and all the confusion and fog of fake facts and fake and fake media that gets some. So there's a job for. Right? Well, I, you mentioned you got me going now on this. No, no, no. no I like pet, I, I like topics, I can yeah. I can I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice yeah. too. Um, I had the fortune of meeting your wife and um, and seeing one of your oh. children. Mm. And she's very impressive, and and I'm sure because you have children, you, you're thinking much more about the future and the future of this country since they're here, and you're here. Hmm. Um, first of all, uh, who's who who more successfully wins arguments at home, you or your wife? Well, if I'm stupid enough to argue, then yeah. clearly it starts with my son Ayanda winning, then my daughter Kira winning, and finally my wife Carla winning. I don't. You're last in the queue. I'm really not very good at winning arguments. <laughs> and if I do, then I've lost the war. <laughs> not that there's a war, then get me right. No, no. So, yeah. No, they're very articulate, actually. And, and it's amazing how when they get to the 13, 15, how articulate they are. And, you know, it's so funny because you have a title. I have a title of a dean, for example. Yeah. And, and if I was, I, I would say, I only, you only borrow a job, you know, you, you, right. you borrow it, and, and if you can't be nothing tomorrow, then then you're nothing today. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, when you explain that philosophy to me, well, because if if you if your identity and your substance in life depends on your attachment to your position, like I am this title or I am that job, if you see that mm. as something about your identity rather than a service or an opportunity to do some work. That makes a sense. You know, you're filling you're filling a position and you're passing it on to somebody else. 
um, you must try and fill that well. You know, there's, an, there's an element of service in that, and I'm not trying to be altruistic. It's just I think it's just true. You're, otherwise, you're trapped, and you're trapped by that job. You can, it goes, and then you crumble. You get depressed, and that's the end of you. You've got to continually be anticipating that that'll be gone. And um, and so when you go home, of course, at, at a graduation, I'm all dressed up in red gowns and flapping around yeah. and and doing you that. Look very thing, magisterial. Well, and it's important, isn't it? Because you've got the families there, these people. Yeah. You, you want to make a it, moment for everybody. You've it, got to it, fill it that really role. It really is. And people, people decry this stuff and they say that it's mm. nonsense. But this ritual is important it's, it's because it's important. symbolic of, of, a, of a journey someone's taken mm. and, a, and a point which they've reached where they're respected by their peers and where they can be, exactly. they can be taken into some new dimension of, of learning and, yeah. and, and acumen and accountability. Yeah. And that's a thing worth celebrating. It's it not is, a small thing. It gives people significance. And yeah. I remember talking to Mampella Rampella a while ago saying that what's happened to people in South Africa, rightly or wrongly, I'm not sure she's right, but it was an interesting point of view, that, that, you know, that people have lost, particularly black Africans, according to her, lost a sense of significance. And that was what Steve Beaker would call colonization of the mind. It was this mm-hmm. erosive, corrupt, terrible effect on people's psyche yeah. that this eternal abusive relationship through colonization and, and apartheid did for people. So um, so we have to unpack that. The ceremony matters. It gives people and – it, and it salutes and honors the parents and the grandparents who made such sacrifices. They can put these pictures up on the, on the mantelpiece and they say, this was worth it. So you have to play it. But at home, and it's of course, amazing how much nothing. it's amazing how much in South Africa those things mean. Yeah, education yeah. really was was something which, because it was denied so many people, mm. and the the kind of education they got was so substandard, the hunger for it in this country is insatiable. And, and you and see it, it every yeah. academic year when people are lining up to get into universities, mm. and you know there's a crush at the gates and a desperation because for so many people this is the only doorway they see to a prosperous future how absurd that that education isn't free in the country and that and instead of putting letting money get frittered away into state capture and buried offshore in, in the billions we don't put that into education for 20 years and give people the capability and the, the dignity and the sense of personal significance that that gives so being in education is an absolute privilege and i'm, I'm not saying that for any reason it honestly is you're in a position where you see so many people who've improved their lives through their own effort. Yeah. You see, I shook hands with eight, or hooded 850-odd people over last, last week. I'm, I'm a changed person as a result. Each one of those I looked in their eyes, and I imagine the stories behind it. And where better to get a positive validation of human nature and, and the good in people than to see that? And that's what we don't talk about enough. We, we put the good into mystic Pollyanna-ish talk or new agey stuff but it's not you know without these decent people doing good work this whole place would fall apart we yeah. talk about a negative let's let's just remember let's see the the positive effort that's going on and these students are doing that and we in an education institution have to serve that and I think that's why we're doing okay you know it's we're not doing this for profit we've got to make a profit we're a very successful entrepreneurial you know business school is part of a university um, but we don't we make I told you what profit margin we get but our, our thing is to be is to build a movement for education you know to, to stimulate different better education and it's a fantastic opportunity to be able to do that 
Now, what is the role of technology in all of this? Because that's, for some people, it is the the means and it's the mm-hmm. platform, but for other people, it's the goal. How do you see it? Well, it's, it's increasingly becoming like asking a fish and asking a fish what the role of water is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in education, how does it change the way that we do things? Um, well, in, in so many ways. I mean, and Are they all positive? Technology is such a broad thing. If you you can weaponize technology or you can glorify it. So so the the positive or negative is sits in our minds. Um we've invented these things for great reasons. So obviously technology can save our lives, give us advance warning of X, Y, and Z, make education brilliant, save lives and driving with automated cars into millions. You know, automated driving is gonna save millions of lives. Um, so the same thing in education. Mm. What it does do is is commoditize what was bef- previously sacred and arcane knowledge. You know, the engineers, the lawyers, the, the president, all that sort of stuff. Everyone can see that on online now, and increasingly with podcasts, with good online education, etc. You're starting to see more and more of that stuff so easily accessible and beautifully put together. If you want to learn guitar now. Ah. Fantastic! You just go online, and you've got these amazing people. You can—it's it's fantastic. So, what does that leave then? And and what it leaves in? Imagine we're sitting in a world of fake truth, false facts now, of Trumpian world, fake news, yeah, all that, where anyone can say anything, and you can decry anything, mm. and you can make a point for everything. How do you get to know what's right or true anymore? And that can only amplify hundreds of folk. I mean, we, the, with video, you can make videos of whoever you like saying whatever you like. So what do you say is truth anymore? Mm. So a huge part of education is going to be discernment, understanding, unwrapping, self-knowledge, uh, use of multiple tools. Technology can help all that. Um, technology can help you learn. I mean, we're, we're so we're only a narrow slice away from implants and amplified everything you know augmented reality and thinking a thought and moving i mean this stuff is not science fiction it's it's, it's inevitable so what does education mean in that respect um and the traditional model where you go to a university and you prepare for a life i often think that technology is going to enable us to do something else you'll be able to get into work and be learning for years while you're working so you can earn while you learn for example um, there's a fantastic benefit to going to a brilliant university where you can reflect and test and flight simulate your life, you know. But technology is going to enable more and more in ways that we can't understand. So, so get as I say, it's fish and water. We're going to live in this stuff. How how are we going to how are we going to creatively make it do things that are better? Just one last thing because it, it does come up in South Africa from time to time. There are a lot of these fly by night schools that offer all kinds of things that they mm. can never really deliver and that take advantage of people mm. um, they, they, they come in they offer things at ridiculous prices they, uh, they promise the world uh, it, it ends up I suppose costing people a lot of money sometimes bankrupting them and they end up with nothing to show for it um, I know that you're vice chair of the South African Business Schools Association is this something that's, that's on the agenda quite often? Yeah, they're obviously mechanisms the state has through the Department of Higher Education and Training, the Council on Higher Education, 
sign up from qualifications authority, etc., plus the institutions and associations uh, you've just mentioned, like one I'm vice chair of, and there are other ones I'm involved in, like the European Foundation Management Development, American Association of Collegiate Schools of Business, the Association of MBAs, all of whom do accreditation. Um, they have a, a significant role to play and continually try and manage standards and get accreditation. But accreditation as it sits now can be a very, very heavyweight mechanism. The accrediting bodies are understaffed. They, they try and do a great job. It can take two or three years to get a new program accredited, which is mm. good in some ways, but bad in others. Um, so what will increasingly happen is that we won't be relying on you know, national accreditations. We'll have some sort of blockchain assessment of of learning that'll go on through your life. These things will move into the ether and go global and there'll be and there will be different ways of assessing how people are learning and when. Um so to people are very vulnerable to these um particularly lower income people, very vulnerable to these short offers. Mm. Our problem is we haven't made quality offerings um, for people um, who don't have a lot of money easily available because there is this sense of preserving uh, preserving these structures which have merit but and preserving businesses. We've got to move away from all that. We absolutely have to. We've got to dive totally aggressively and creatively into the new space and create forms of learning that are fit for purpose um, to give people skills, help people develop capabilities, knowledge, but also give people a very wide view of the environment around because we are facing significant challenges in lifestyle, environments, and species, just the quality of life we're having and we're living now. And unless we tackle this in clever, clever ways, um, life isn't going to be life is going to be hard. And education yeah. is not about qualifications; it's about living a good life. Uh, decent life so we've really got to think differently about what education is and uh, dive into the future well john uh, keep doing the good work that you're doing at, at henley business school it's terrific to spend a bit of time with you and to get into the, the way you think um certainly i think what what henley's doing is at the forefront of, of where we need to be moving and your your graduates prove that um, there's so many of them that are successful that are doing incredible things all over South Africa and the world. And uh, I hope that more of them can be added to our pool to increase the, the the capacity for human beings to enjoy their lives and to live well, which is, as you say, the point. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks Thank for your time. You. Appreciate it. John Foster Pedley. This is CliffCentral.com.